0: hello and welcome to talking movies with max and Tim i'm max I'm Tim and uh this is episode two woo we made it one whole week feels good to be back I'm impressed with us today we're talking about Carrie nineteen seventy six Brian Palmer not the not to be confused with the soon to be in theaters twenty thirteen Carrie um which I guess if you're listening to this podcast the movie should be released by then
1: on the 18th yeah so eight days from today
0: okay yeah (laughs) so i no the movie won't be out yet (laughs) so you'll be able to listen to this and then go see the new version but you should probably watch the original first um i had never seen it before
1: i had seen it many times and i really enjoyed watching it again
0: and I really enjoyed watching it for the first time.
1: It might have been one of the... No, um, I think it was the first Stephen King adaptation that I ever saw.
0: I think, based on my uh, reading after I, I watched the movie, I think it's the first Stephen King adaptation uh, any uh, ever. Yeah. First time they adapted one of his books. And maybe you know, is, was Carrie his first book?
1: Uh, yeah, it was his first published novel.
0: First published novel.
1: And it was adapted by Lawrence D. Cohen, who for years I thought was the same person as Larry Cohen, who uh, made the It's Alive movies. And like only recently did I realize, nope, that's a completely different person.
0: It's Alive. Is that the um, the poster with, there's like a baby carriage? And yes. And there's like a claw of some sort of,
1: Yes, that is the the killer baby series of horror
0: movies. I've never seen it, but the image of the movie poster, or probably more specifically, the image of the the VHS cover is pretty ingrained in my my memory.
1: It's Alive and It Lives Again, I'd recommend. However, It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive, (laughs) is uh, a little too out there for me. But again, that was a different... Larry Cohen. So we're way <laughs> off topic already. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, where to begin?
1: Um, well, what stuck out the most for you as a first-time viewer?
0: As a first-time viewer, I mean, here's the thing, the most the Okay, and I guess we should say before we get into it, um, we're going to be talking about the whole movie, so if you haven't seen it, there will be spoilers. Um, you know, fair warning, spoiler alert. I know the movie is, you know, how old now 30 40 years old something 37 years 37 old. yeah
1: and society has pretty much spoiled a lot of it for most of us even the poster and the trailer
0: <laughs> yeah but see that was actually the most surprising thing about the movie to me was that i mean i think it's kind of impossible to be aware of the movie carrie and not be aware that oh it's it's you know she gets dumped in a a bucket of uh, pig's blood yeah it's they're so synonymous that i think anybody who knows about the movie carrie knows that she gets covered in blood at the prom um so going into it knowing that that's what's going to happen i was surprised in just how effective it still works um as a suspenseful movie there's such a huge build-up yeah and, and and even in the context of, of the movie like they'd make it like no secret that like that's what's going to happen they show pretty early on before the prom like that there's this you know this bucket full of blood sitting up in the rafters and you know that like they're gonna dump it on her so i mean to make it so suspenseful the whole build-up the whole time they're sitting in the prom like you're just kind of like waiting for it to happen and I found myself just, like, you know, nearly sitting on the edge of my seat, just, like, not wanting it to happen. Like, in that amazing scene when, like, so they get up on stage and uh, – what's her name? Sue,
1: the character's name? Um, Sue Snell, the Amy Irving Sue Snell, character.
0: yeah. She's sort of – she looks up and she realizes that it's about to fall. Right. Like, that whole time, like, even though you know, you know full well it's going to happen, like, I found myself just – Wanting it to not happen, yeah, <laughs> because you care so much about Carrie. Um,
1: it's one of the most impressive things about the film Carrie, um, especially in regards to like other entries of the horror genre. Is how much time it spends developing the characters before, like the big climactic uh, tragedy, mm-hmm. um, like you know often one of the criticisms of horror is just like oh it's just a bunch of like cardboard cut out characters who are offed and the audience applauds when they die it's like these people we spend like an hour getting to know these people and like sue and tommy at least are very like sympathetic characters and of course you Definitely. care deeply about carrie white
0: mm-hmm. and the uh, and the gym coach yeah um yeah i mean, and that i guess that was another thing that kind of surprised me too i mean because it's you think about carrie as being one of sort of like the great sort of classic horror films but it doesn't quite fit into the genre as well as i kind of thought it would it's a different kind of horror film where the the horror doesn't come from like a body count or some sort of external kind of Force that's where where your main character's life or something is threatened um i mean there are, there is a lot of negativity coming towards carrie but it's not of like she's the supernatural element you know usually in horror films like the supernatural element is like sort of an external thing gunning for the the main character or right but in this it's like the horror comes from everyday people you know the classmates her mother and um and just like the the horror of social interaction like the fear of are they going to laugh at me you know the fear of am i going to fit in with people at school Which and pretty
1: much everybody can relate to Yeah that. so
0: it, it was surprising that like in a lot of ways it's that's more ingrained into our sort of daily existence like nobody out there is, I mean, well, some people maybe, but for the average person, like we all feel fear and anxiety and stress. And that usually doesn't come in the form of somebody wielding a knife or a chainsaw or a werewolf or a vampire or anything like that. It comes from, I really don't want to go into work today because my coworker is, you know, really stressing me out and they're there's all this animosity there between us, and I really want this person to like me, but I'm afraid that they don't and all of that and that's where our sort of daily stress and fear comes from, and that's kind of what the horror is in Carrie in for the most most of the movie and even when once you finally get to the point where she's in the in the gymnasium and she's killing everybody, that's when I stopped kind of being. Like, afraid. That's when my heart kind of stopped pounding. And I was able to kind of, like, relax in a weird way. This kind of, it, was, it was reversed for me.
1: For a minute, you're just like, oh, well, thank God
0: she's murdering all these children.
1: Or no, no, not you? Is that
0: just me? <laughs> I mean, well, because on some level, like, you want to see her get revenge right. on, on the people who... Treated her so horribly But I mean Then the moment when When the gym teacher is sort of Nearly cut in half Yeah It's
1: just anyone who's there Whether they were on her side or not Um, Although she There's that great That great moment where um, The sound has dropped out Mm -hmm. When the bucket of blood drops And um, there's just like you know, certain sounds remain in the mix. And then when it starts to uh the sound starts to fade back in, it's the laughter mm-hmm. um, tied in with the, the the sound clip of the the mother saying they're all gonna laugh at you. And she see she looks at like we've seen in the silent footage, like as like the, the audience looking at the film, that yeah, there are a few people laughing, but there are so many looks of like horror. Yeah, and the people shock. are aghast at all of this stuff. And then it switches to, like, this kaleidoscopic... Yeah, sort of, like, her
0: POV of what she's seeing, and we see, like, the principal, like, ha, 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 even though, like, we know, like, nobody is really laughing. Really, it's it's just, like, PJ Souls, I guess, who's in the front row, like, laughing.
1: She's, like, this... I hadn't seen it in a while. I watched it a lot growing up, and... I just PJ souls character. You know, I just, I never really focused on what a horrible person. Oh yeah. She is, she is
0: just, she's it, yeah. In this movie, she's just, uh, really nothing redeeming about it. Yeah,
1: Cause like, I mean like the main villainous, well, as far as, I mean the mother really, but like, as far as like the high school students, is, it's Nancy is Allen's Chris, character. Yeah, yeah.
0: Chris, her character's name. Uh, yeah. Nancy Allen.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, PJ souls, I'm blanking on her character's name. Cause I'm just, I just think Riff Randall from rock and roll high school. <laughs>
0: um, totally.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I, I, only think, I only think of her uh, in yeah her role in Halloween. Um, Chewing the gum and everything. Yeah. Um, But just, oh yeah, dude, just a, such hatred. And then, like, it brings you back to like, I don't know, you know, different people have different experiences of like high school life. And uh, like I can remember, like feeling such strong hatred for certain people, like based on how like I would perceive they were treating others and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like looking back, you know, we're, they're all children, and they're all learning like how to act in life and stuff. And it's yeah.
0: like, um, you were surprised at how horrible PJ Souls' character, yeah, yeah, was. And I think like she, well, she she has this sort of happiness to her the entire time and just sort of like joy about her which makes it almost more despicable yeah she's she's
1: gleefully malevolent
0: yeah yeah but it's almost i mean you get the sense that like she doesn't really know how wrong it kind of is you know right which when you're in high school that's kind of how kids act like people don't really know how far is too far and i never I've never quite been sure about
1: Billy Nolan, John Travolta's character. Is he even, does he attend the high school?
0: <laughs> I mean, I we got really only see
1: thing. him like outside at night. Like he's just, he like, certainly
0: looks a lot older than you would you yeah. see someone. in. <laughs> I, my, my sort of view was that he was like a few years older than, yeah, that's the impression. Like they that they say that like they this is senior, senior year. It's a senior prom. Right. He seemed like a few years older. Like he'd probably graduated like, you know, two or three years before something his performance is uh something else this the scenes there's the one scene with with him and nancy allen in the car that i thought it was hilarious it just keeps going and going and like they keep swapping kind of like confused reactions towards one another
1: was it the first scene when you first yeah when you 1st are introduced to him and we're for years, I I just got the DVD a few years ago. So for a long time, I was watching the TV version, and I didn't realize that there was a running gag of her calling him a stupid shit, oh. because they obviously cut that out. Right. And some other stuff too. They left a surprising amount in, mm-hmm. but like like uh, obviously like the nudity was cut out, mm-hmm. things like that, and a lot of language, and the the blowjob uh, was right. not in the T the TBS
0: version I watched as a child. It's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, his his character just the how do you, I don't even know how to like really pin him down. He's just so strange. Like his re, like he seemed like an alien almost trying to figure <laughs> out like how to interact with this with his girlfriend. It was it was strange.
1: Yeah. The horrible people could be the most entertaining people in the movie. Like Piper Laurie's performance mm. as Margaret White it just blows you away she yeah like she, goes full she force was really fantastic and was nominated for an oscar for that
0: yeah i i didn't realize that she was uh an oscar nominee i i know piper Laurie primarily from twin peaks uh the television show um she plays catherine martell in twin peaks and um there's a lot in in Carrie that I kind of I mean maybe it's just because I mean I'm a, I'm a big David Lynch fan, but I I feel like there's a lot in this movie that I could tell that David Lynch was probably a fan of mm. the movie. Piper Laurie's performance most definitely. Um but just like certain like kind of subtle some some of the cinematography and just the whole idea of like this prom queen um being sort of tortured on prom night. I feel like maybe had something to do with the the idea of laura palmer um in twin peaks but a lot of the cinematography like there's that shot of uh of her of carrie when when she's announced as prom queen and she's like slow motion walking up to the up to the stage yeah. and she's smiling and the, the bright lights the music in that scene just it reminds me of uh it has like touches of um a, a battle of score who's who's the composer who did works with David Lynch a lot really when you talk about Carrie like the biggest uh thing it has going for it is Sissy Spacek's performance i think i mean i was just surprised how transformative she really was in the
1: yeah she's not like in real life sissy spacek is not an unattractive woman and she can play that character mm-hmm. And then at the end, you completely buy like, oh, look how gorgeous she's become.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it's totally out of place. Almost.
1: Yeah, and it's not even like a lot of like cosmetic type transformation. Yeah. It's just the way she presents herself, the way she carries herself, person. and it's
0: a very subtle kind of change that she does. Yeah, um, and then she changes once again once the uh, the blood is poured on her, and the the lighting changes to that you know the red lighting and suddenly she just looks like a demon or like an alien she's very like you can suddenly all of like her bones in her body you can like see through her skin and she's just like the skeletal figure and um just really really scary and really haunting
1: how did you feel about the um the use of split screen did it seem a little gimmicky or did it do you think it worked because De Palma (coughs) apparently has regretted it And in the editing room, like it was shot to be like completely split screen and they took a lot of split screen out, but they left a lot in obviously, Mm -hmm. as you can see in the movie. Um, I've always liked it. I've been impressed with the, the choice.
0: I think, um, the split screen usage in the finale. Yeah. Um, I think was effective and I, uh, I was kind of surprised with that as well because, you know, it does kind of have this um, almost cheesiness to it. It's hard to kind of, like, ride that line between, like, hyper-stylized editing like that, but... Um, which is one
1: of the biggest criticisms throughout De Palma's career.
0: Mm. That
1: and misogyny, which we should get to in a second.
0: <laughs> um, but I think in that, in that moment, I think it... Uh, in that scene, I should say it, it I think it works really well um because you never leave Carrie's face. she's like you know snapping her looks around and you see the doors closing and stuff it uh I think it helps kind of create this schizophrenic kind of atmosphere to it mm. um, and this almost kind of you you almost see like her connection to everything in the room around yeah. her. You know, where suddenly she's like aware of like that she can affect everything in the room. Um,
1: and so it was like not, nothing is safe. It's not like oh well. Right. You know, it's like a, a how people use like off-screen space. It's like nothing's off-screen. Like it, she doesn't need to be in the same frame as mm-hmm. her victims. Are just they're all together.
0: Yeah, she's everywhere. Um, earlier in the movie, however, I think like some of the <laughs> the split screen shots um were kind of strange and kind of took me out of it um i'm th- i'm talking about certain shots that maybe some people wouldn't really notice so much but and it's funny because it relates back to what we were talking about last week with orson wells wanting to make citizen kane entirely in focus
1: oh the split diopter lens
0: is that okay um, you know the name of it <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, where it's not quite split screen, it's all one shot, but the split diopter lens allows things in the immediate foreground to be very in focus, and things far away to be very in focus, and in the center of the frame, um, it's sort of fuzzy. There's kind
0: of this like line of, of uh, out of focus, just like a thin line around.
1: Like in the scene where we first meet Tommy Ross, and right. he carries in the background mm-hmm. listening to the poem, and there's that first connection between them right. where the teacher sort of teases her for referring to the poem as beautiful and you can see that Tommy is sort of like you know it's like why would you why are you teasing this girl like she's got mm-hmm. enough going on like and he's just like you suck <laughs> and just I don't know it was just uh this time through like I feel like every time I watch it he gets more likable but that might be because when I was first watching it, yeah, I was younger, and I was like, oh, stupid jock, he's a dick. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, he's... uh, Him and, and Sue are both very, very sympathetic. You really feel bad that, I mean, especially you feel bad that Tommy, you know, he dies. Yeah. Which is just horrible. Because... And you can see how... Uh, it It really is really sad, like the scene where Tommy asks Carrie to the prom and she just says no and runs away. Yeah. And then she's sitting outside and the teacher, the gym teacher comes over and is like, what's wrong? And she's like, I got to ask the prom. And she's like, why is that bad? Like who asked you? She says, it was Tommy. I'm like, Oh, what, why are you sad? Because he's trying to trick me. I just know it. Like that to me is just like, is just so, so tragic because they're, There really was it was coming from a good place and to just live a life that you are so skeptical of people and so like afraid of anybody interacting with you in any kind of real way that's just uh it's just horrible and for it to end so so badly because once she finally opens up and is able to share that connection with tommy and have a good time and you know, she perceives that, you know, she was right. Her mother was right. They were all just trying to, like, get get her into that compromising place and laugh at her. And, uh yeah, it's it's really
1: uh sad. I wonder what would have happened if, like, let's say, you know, they drop the pig's blood, but the bucket doesn't fall. Tommy survives. Carrie somehow doesn't flip out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or even, let's say the blood's not even dropped. Like, they just have a great time at the prom, and then, like, the next day... I mean, he kisses her several times, yeah. and it's it's like, he's still dating Sue. And, like, is he legitimately, like, falling for her, For her, or is he just like, I'm gonna try and make this the best night of her life, even if tomorrow it just goes back to the way it was?
0: I was thinking about that, too, oh. and I, I don't really know. It's... Um... It's, but I mean, it, it definitely seems as though he's he legitimately cares about her, yeah. at least her experience of that of that night. Right. Um,
1: and there's that great like secondary couple they walk in with mm-hmm. who they well the the shorter guy with them. He was picking out tuxes with him in the humorous scene or, right, before yeah. that. Um, but then there's like his his date is with them and she's being really nice to Carrie. And I don't even know if she was in any scenes before that. But it's like there are other people at the school who are like, oh, let's reach out to Carrie White. Mm-hmm. She's had such a hard time. and like It's sort of like a little optimistic. Like, oh, well, it's not entirely hellish at Bates High School.
0: Yeah, which <laughs> I really don't think. Well, is it Bates High School? Yep.
1: Named for Norman
0: Bates. Well, because I noticed um, in the scene when Tommy, no, not Tommy, uh, Billy. Yeah. And Chris are going to get the pig's blood. They go they're when they're, there's that really awesome shot of them walking by the painted mural of yeah. all the pigs. Um there's a sign on that that's, that says uh Bates packaging, I think. It was either Bates Farms or Bates Packaging.
1: So Bates could have been the name of the town then.
0: Um so yeah, maybe it was the name of the town, but I saw that and I and I uh I was like there's there's no way that that was a mis- that that was a coincidence. I really so you're saying that it was named after Psycho's yeah, Norman Bates.
1: they mention that explicitly in the uh, special features in the DVD, actually. And it's, it's several, like, there's that, and there's also the violin stings. Yeah, yeah, there's on a the lot. The soundtrack, Yeah.
0: The The score harkens back to uh, Bernard Herrmann's Psycho score, um, which I think was a much more effective use of, of that kind of uh, homage to the score mm. than, say reanimator which lifts the opening of uh the opening overture of of psycho Mm. and just uses it as its own score um which is just really weird kind of completely off topic but um the um the location where they
1: shot the pig farm that was actually found by um, an assistant working on the film uh bill paxton who ten years later uh, would be in like Aliens and mm-hmm. Near Dark and Twister? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess in the '70s he used to.
0: So he was a location scouter. He
1: was just somebody who liked to go around L.A. in the area with his little camera and just shoot cool things he saw. Mm. And he was an assistant working on the film, and they were like, "Hey, do you have, have you seen anything that might work for these locations?" And he showed them that, and they're like, "Yes, definitely."
0: So it had the whole mural probably yeah. painted on there and everything. So they must have painted uh, the Bates sign on themselves,
1: maybe. I would assume so. Unless they were like, hey, it's called Bates. Let's name the high school Bates <laughs> and it'll be like Psycho.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, the movie, uh, I mean, those, those kinds of things are almost more homage but the whole idea of like this child's relationship with this overprotective mother kind of ties into the whole psycho thing as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, De Palma is often accused of just like ripping off Hitchcock all the time, but it's like his homages aren't so much as, like ripoffs. It's he's like in co- in conversation mm. with Hitchcock films. Like he'll take. I mean, sometimes like the movie Obsession is almost a remake of Vertigo. That's the film he did right before Carrie. Um and like there are elements of different Hitchcock films throughout his work. Uh like in Dress to Kill, the shower scene, and Phantom of the Paradise shower scene. Um But I think he's just like he's taking elements from other filmmakers' work and using it in the way that Tarantino Often does, and he's like he's building off of it, mm-hmm. not to the extent that Tarantino does uh he doesn't so much take like characters, right, but just like different like visual tropes and uh mm-hmm. i don't
0: know yeah the um this another sort of thing I noticed um that reminded me of psycho was the shot of Chris under the stairs holding the uh the rope, and we can only see her silhouette mm-hmm. because there's like a A sheet in front of her um it just reminded me of the of the shot of norman bates standing outside of the shower you know and you see him behind the shower curtain and you just see his uh his silhouette yeah but yeah that's i mean that's one of the interesting things about the horror genre in general or like any kind of genre uh is that like films within the genre you can it's it's fun to kind of like break down like Cause you can sort of a lot of times plainly see how the film was influenced by films previously in its genre and how films after it were inspired by it in their genre. And it it's, you know, the horror genre has like certain like tropes and um, rules, I guess that, and it's fun to see how different filmmakers use them, take certain things and twist them around and make the, make it their own. Uh, take certain characters and uh, present them in a uh, totally different kind of way. Um, So it was was fun to watch Carrie because it feels like a missing piece that I had never really seen before in the horror landscape because I could see clear sort of uh, ties to films that would follow it, like Halloween, just the whole notion of it, because the thing about halloween is that it sort of brought the horror to like the small town kind of uh you know in right. kids going to high school um you know walking the streets this in walking the sunny streets on the sidewalks and that was kind of uh in in carrie as well
1: in the early scenes in halloween of like the teenage girls gossiping mm-hmm. one of whom is a teenage girl in and then and yeah and him. pj
0: souls and also, you know, the uh the last moment in Carrie where uh Sue is walking to the the gravel pit where the where Carrie's house once stood, and there's that last moment where her arm juts out and grabs her. Um of course come brings to mind the end of uh films like Friday the thirteenth.
1: So many slash <laughs> pretty much <laughs> like every slash fatal attraction even they had to have like, oh, the killer's not dead yet. And then, mm-hmm. and of course, they lampoon it and scream.
0: But apparently, that was itself a uh, inspired by a film before it.
1: Deliverance, which neither Max nor I have seen. <laughs> someday.
0: I guess we'll have to watch Deliverance.
1: And then we will see what all that squealing like a pig is all about that people always reference.
0: And all that banjo picking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now, I mentioned earlier that uh, Brian De Palma is often accused of misogyny and that he doesn't pre- he presents women just to be victims and everything. And they're just, they're not like actual characters. And I just, I find it hard to believe that so many people say that about the guy who directed Carrie, mm-hmm. like it's such a, it's full, not just Carrie. It's full of like well-rounded characters. And they're not, some of the women are horrible people. But there's there no, nobody is completely evil. Maybe Nancy Allen's character, because she doesn't even seem to be like Happy any... about her evil, she's yeah. just that's just what she is. But like, and like Margaret White is just completely messed up mentally, and you you pity her mm-hmm. more than despise her. Or at least I do. I don't know. Other people might just completely despise her.
0: Um, I mean, it's sad to see anybody so caught up in that kind of a destructive mindset.
1: Yeah. Like the, like the early scene and, you know, the pivotal scene early on in the shower, um, you know, it starts out with the slow motion and there's all these beautiful actresses and they're naked and it's almost like, oh, this is what teenage boys think
0: happen Mm Now, in that, a girls' locker that, room. That was kind of my first thought uh, too. I was like, "Is this what's going on?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind closed doors in the high school locker room. And then you know,
1: it just it focuses on Carrie off by herself showering, and it's just like then it just gets real.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it's not like presented in a very kind of realistic way. It's yeah. It's it's pretty exaggerated. Yeah. Plug the hole, plug the hole. Plug it up. Plug it up. <laughs> <laughs> <Not the hole. laughs>
1: Which Plug is started yeah. by, I mean, Sue, of all people, that, that's who starts that. And yeah, it, that... she's also the person Carrie goes to first. Mm-hmm. And she almost, you see, like, Carrie grip her. She marks her almost, like, with her bloody handprint. Like, and that sets everything off. And,
0: and she also marks the uh, the gym teacher as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Who reacts? And they're the two people who become sympathetic to her.
1: And it's amazing how uh, violently the gym teacher acts towards the children. At yeah. Some point. Like, I keep referring to them as children. I mean, they're teenagers, but, like, mm-hmm. really looking back. I, I mean, when they're, you're they're, acting it's not like, like they're actually that. played by, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, like, children. But, like, in real life, high school students would be children. They're, where they're all actresses in their 20s and stuff.
0: It reminds me of uh, something that happened in our own high school. I think it was uh it was my senior year so you were already graduated by that time. Yeah. Um but it involved the football team. Um and I played football in high school but only for the first 2 years. Um so I wasn't I wasn't on the team by the time uh, I was a senior. But there's a kid that who was on the on the football team, one of the football players who the rest of of the team duct-taped to a bench in the locker room, naked, and uh, violated him with a road cone.
1: How have I never heard of this before?
0: I don't know. It was big. It was a big deal. The kid was—I uh, won't say any names. Well, yeah. Um, but he was gone from the school for like a couple weeks, and I remember the day that he came back. We were—I was in the cafeteria with some friends, and uh, we looked up and we saw him out in the parking lot, and we're like, "Hey, is that—is that him? He's back." and he comes like marching into the school like with a purpose and his lawyer was following him behind behind him and we we're like oh shit this just got real he's oh he's coming back with a vengeance but i don't know exactly what happened with like what if there was a settlement or what if it went to court even i'm not sure but i yeah. feel
1: like they wouldn't have allowed the entire team to be punished for
0: gang rape which yeah. that was basically, yeah, like, yeah. That's like, I don't, re- kind of I don't ridiculous. know if anyone got punished for that.
1: Well, there are several things at our high school that would happen involving sexual crimes, which nothing ever happened with. This is a different subject to run now. Well, <laughs> to a degree, not
0: really. I mean, because that's just, I mean, you know, it, the the oh that opening scene in Carrie, like yeah. it's portrayed sort of, um, exact in an exaggerated way in the cinematography and, and just the, and you, there's a part of you that thinks like, oh, that, that's that kind of stuff like wouldn't really happen like
1: nowadays
0: yeah. or that's, that's of a time, you know, past, you know, oh, the, the teachers are smoking in the principal's office, you know, like they're, they're smoking cigarettes and doing all that stuff is like, ah, oh, that's it's just of an age gone by. But like, no, I mean, that kind of stuff still happens yeah. today. Um, and especially, I mean, there's this whole thing with like, bully awareness and and all this stuff i was surprised in a way how relatable seeing this high school set in the in the 70s like how relatable it was um to at least some of my high school experience
1: yeah and it's like there's different i mean like throughout the decades people will change the kind of clothes they wear and like different slang and stuff but like deep down they're all just acting out in that way yeah I think it would um, be valuable to include will not include Carrie but like relate Carrie to um, some other films from the 70s in the horror genre that um, in hindsight are often referred to as rape revenge movies like last house in the left or I spit mm-hmm. on your grave especially I spit on your grave where it's just a female character is so horrifically violated and then the audience feels both liberated and repelled mm-hmm. by the revenge uh, because it is i mean yeah the character of Carrie is not necessarily raped in the film but it is sexual violence occurring and
0: yeah and it it made it made me wonder just like how i mean seeing like her situation at home with her mother hmm. like we we get a very small sort of glimpse into what her life must have been like but, I was kind of. As I was watching some of those scenes, just wondering, like you know, just ha- just how bad really, did it ever get, for Carrie. Um, at home, like was like I mean her mother is like. Very kind of like. Open about, the negativities of like sexual, interaction and stuff. Yeah, and she claims to only have really had sex, like once. Or maybe like a couple times or something before marriage. It was before marriage, and she got impregnated, and she's like, "I should have, <clears throat> I should have killed you, or I should have killed myself, or yeah, before you were even born." But I mean, somebody that like sexually repressed and blatantly taking it out on their kid. I mean, I just yeah.
1: And the other people in the neighborhood know that. Mm-hmm. Margaret White is a whack job like you see that early in- well when you first when we're first introduced to her right. she's she meeting goes, she's Sue's, at Sue's mother house, yeah. Yeah. and like at the end of that scene when Sue comes in and sees that oh it's Carrie's mother and it's like right after and that's like, the that, turn like, yeah that's yeah, that's she's where, where she's sort of like, like, like where she
0: feels way. bad because then she kind of sees gets a glimpse mm-hmm. of what her ha- home life must be like
1: and um Sue's mother who was played by the actress Amy Irving's actual mother um so it's like a mother daughter in the movie and in real life. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um at, in the very last scene when you hear her talking on the phone right before it goes into Sue's dream, mm-hmm. she has that ridiculous line where she says like, "Oh, the doctor said she's young enough yeah. now, or she'll just yeah, forget she'll... all about it." It just shows it's like Yeah, that was, the ultimate like ignorance strange. of parents in regards mm-hmm. to their children. Like it's just going to keep going. Uh, she'll
0: grow out of it. She'll yeah. she'll put all this behind her. Even though the entire school burned down and all of her friends were killed.
1: Apparently in the sequel, The Rage, Carrie 2, which I still haven't seen. I don't really know if I want to uh, sue Snell as uh, some sort of uh, counselor or school psychologist or something like that. Is it you played know? by the same actress? Yeah. I think she might be the only connection, personnel-wise.
0: So, in, in The Rage... Yeah. I mean, it's called Carrie 2. Is Carrie... A part of it?
1: I believe it's just some other girl with telekinesis. <laughs> That's my I don't know a lot about it. Oh. Um yeah. <laughs> well to... speaking of Amy Irving, it's amusing that like in Carrie we have Nancy Allen, the future Mrs. De Palma, and Amy Irving, the future Mrs. Spielberg. Neither of those marriages lasted very long.
0: But She was married to Steven Spielberg.
1: Yes. And um for years people in the Hollywood community would sort of like make fun of her because she got a lot of money in the divorce and referred to her as a gold digger and stuff. But it's like, I I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the details of their marriage or anything and I don't know them. So it's, but I don't know. She's a good actress. I've liked her in other things. I really liked her in, um, De Palma's next film, uh, 1970. It's the fury in which she played a teenage girl with psychic abilities. Hmm but i know that you have not seen it no and i and i hope you watch it soon because i have a lot of things to talk about with you about that movie
0: <laughs> cool yeah i'll have to <laughs> check it out I, I am i haven't really seen many of brian de palma's films in general so that i mean a, and after seeing Carrie i i really am interested in watching more because i thought it was just such a such a great movie one of the things that was uh really impressive about the movie was the the score. There're a lot of really really great cues. There's sort of a um I guess it it would probably be like maybe Carrie's theme. It's this kind of like piano kind of melody that was just really really beautiful. Um it kind of went to it you know it's very like kind of classic feeling in certain places where sometimes yeah. it was very reminiscent of like a bernard herman kind of like sweeping lots of strings kind of score but then it would transition to these like kind of crazier modern well modern for the 70s 1976 yeah. um with electronic sounds um Particularly that song that plays during that scene where they're uh where the girls are forced to stay after school and do push ups and jumping jacks and stuff.
1: With that great like wow wow type sound yeah. or type yeah. sound to it.
0: <laughs> really, really awesome.
1: Yeah, De Palma um has been lucky with composers. That was Pino DiNaggio who did the music for Carrie and then um he had worked with Bernard Herman on uh the film Sisters in which uh, Herman experimented with some, like, electronic sounds and, like,
0: synthesizers. Was that before or after Carrie?
1: Before. um, 73. And then on the film Obsession, which I mentioned before, was almost a remake of Vertigo, which Herman scored. Like, he then Hmm. scored Obsession as well. And um, De Palma actually introduced Bernard Herman to Scorsese, who directed Taxi Driver, which was the last score that Bernard Herman did. Right, right. Which was released the same year as Carrie. Obama also introduced Robert De Niro to Martin Scorsese so we have him to thank for two fruitful collaborations.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's really interesting. I we we were talking um a few days ago about um there was a sort of like film scene at the time in the early 70s in which these
1: movie brats,
0: all these great <laughs> film directors were before they had become like great film directors. were all just kind of like hanging out together in this beach house and you had the likes of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, all just like hanging out and uh, talking about all the movies that they loved and you know, right. Showing each other their scripts and being like, Oh, I really want to make this movie. Oh, that's great. You know, and all collaborating and stuff. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting is that um, you had mentioned that at the time that Brian De Palma was casting Carrie, George Lucas was also casting Star Wars. Yes. And there was a time when Carrie Fisher was trying out for the role of Carrie, and Sissy Spacek was trying out for the role of Princess Leia. Yep.
1: And William Catt, who played Tommy Ross, wanted to be Luke Skywalker.
0: (laughs) I can kind of see that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oddly enough that's he's funny. got
1: that boyish charm Mm-hmm.
0: and those golden locks <laughs> yes <laughs> that lion's mane <laughs> is. um but one thing that was interesting i i found i i was reading about carrie and I, I found another strange connection between sissy spacek and carrie fisher and that the site in which the the high school that they shot the movie at hmm. Where the high school was built was once owned by Carrie Fisher's parents, uh, Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher. Eddie Fisher. Um, they once owned the, the land, and then when they went to, to when the town wanted to build the high school there, they uh, they took the land by uh, preeminent domain. Hmm. So, yeah, there's another strange <laughs> Carrie Fisher connection. Interesting.
1: Now, as far as um, Stephen King adaptations go, which is almost, it's weird to think of this as a Stephen King adaptation because it's such a, I mean, it was the first, nobody knew who Stephen King was mm-hmm. when this movie came out. Now he's, um, you know, it's, he's got that sort of brand name horror thing but for the past, like, 30 years. Now,
0: like, I mean, now how many films have been adapted from his works?
1: And how many of them have been good films? There are there are several so many uh,
0: there are films. so many
1: horrible ones but there mm-hmm. are several I mean Kubrick's The Shining The Shining of course The Dead Zone David Cronenberg
0: It is very iconic
1: Yeah he's actually he's done well on like the TV front with like It and, and uh, the, the Stand, stand. Yeah. And, well I don't know The Stand When it first aired, I was very excited about, and I loved, and I've, for an eight-hour movie, I've watched that more than I should have, I guess, when I take into account how many hours of my life it took, but I don't know if it holds up over time, mostly because of the early 90s CGI-type things, but that might just be nitpicking. Yeah,
0: I've never actually sat down and watched The Stand. I've been kind of waiting to read the book, um, which I have sitting on my bookshelf, but I haven't gotten around to it. I
1: started the book in sixth grade and I finished it in eighth grade <laughs> that took me- I mean I'm a slow reader to begin with but that's like that's lot, that's I think it's like one 1141 pages or something like that um
0: <laughs> you knew that was very specific, very specific. <laughs> <laughs> or, or something like that I, I, don't, like, I don't know I don't the details know. but I think the, <laughs> the
1: original one that came out in the 70s was only 789 pages but when they uh, did the the later edition in the early 90s was yeah um, but yeah, but also things like misery and the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, right. Green misery, Mile of course. And, yeah. yeah. Um, like, there are, there are many, like, respectable ones. Uh, Cujo. Definitely Cujo. Um, some may not agree.
0: <laughs> my, my girlfriend <laughs> Kayla is in the room, and uh, <laughs> she doesn't like Cujo because she had a, a bad experience with a dog when she was young. That's understandable. So, Cujo doesn't sit well.
1: The Mist. The Mist. Yeah, I've heard many good things about The Mist, but I
0: have not. I saw it. The Mist. Um, it's pretty good. I, I There's, a, there's um, things about it that I think are really effective. But I think it suffers from, like, kind of lackluster special effects. Yeah. Um,
1: did you see the black and white version or the color version? I
0: saw the color version. When I found out that there was a black and white version, I was like, that one's probably better, I would guess. Because some of the special effects, probably some of the CG probably looks a lot better. Mm-hmm. Kind of helps it. The black and white kind of helps it sit within the world a little better. Um, so, re- I, you know, like I said, I haven't seen
1: The Mist, but I've read the novella um, and... There's, I mean, there are certain points where it goes into descriptions, but a lot of it um, is sort of left to the imagination. I was Mm -hmm. hoping they would do that in the film. Although that's harder to do in film, because often you have to show something.
0: (laughs) Because if it's just like, you know, everything's misty and you can't see, you know, anything. But, you know, again, most horror films are at their most frightening when the less you're seeing... Most films are more fright. <laughs> most horror films are at their most frightening when it's when you're seeing less of the threat.
1: Yes, like in the the original The Haunting or um, the Luton films at RKO in the forties. It's just a lot of suggestions. Cat people. Yeah.
0: But that's a story for another day. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Um,
1: next week is sort of an odd situation um, you, You're you going to be Pretty busy next week We're not sure if we're going to record one of these what, uh, what are you up to, Max? Um,
0: I'm actually shooting a horror movie of my own Really? Yes It's called Lake Nowhere um, I'm directing it with Christopher Phelps um, It's a script that Chris wrote With our friend Ryan Fitzgerald um, we're going out to a cabin for a week, out in the middle of basically nowhere, and uh, yeah, the it's town of be... North Hudson
1: might uh, <laughs> disagree. With? Well, no, they probably <laughs> wouldn't. I don't know.
0: I mean, it's I mean, even within the town. It's like you know, it's a, it, it's in the woods, like deep in the woods, on a on a pond that does not have many inhabitants. It's Up the road from an abandoned uh, ghost
1: town. Yeah,
0: enough. <laughs> an abandoned ghost town, which makes sense if you know that this place... Actually, it was built as a ghost town, as, like, a uh, an attraction. Frontier town. Frontier town, in which they had, like, you know, a fake ghost town. But now the whole place is abandoned, so now the fake ghost town is, in fact, a real ghost town. Um, but we're actually not shooting there. Maybe one day we'll shoot there, because it's a pretty awesome location. But, um, yeah, this, uh, this film that we're making is... Uh, it's a slasher film. Um, it sort of borrows heavily from the kind of classic uh, elements from, you know, your Friday the 13th and uh, all those those films from like the late 70s and eight, into the 80s. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a good time. It's a short film, so we're just shooting for a week and um, should be good and we might
1: record one of these um from up there
0: yeah if if there's it's gonna enough be a time tight schedule. it's gonna be it's a very very tight schedule but if uh if we have like even just a half an hour to spare one night maybe we'll sit down and uh and record record one of these things um we, we probably won't be talking specifically about like one particular movie maybe we'll we can just talk about um
1: other scary movies in the woods
0: yeah we're gonna be in the woods uh it, like i'm in mean, this place that we're shooting at like when we pulled up it the first thought that pulled that popped in my head was like i feel like i'm at camp crystal like it just feels like it's a location straight out of the friday the 13th movie
1: and everything was eerily still it just, just seems like a lot of people had like very summer quiet. places up there, and it's October, so they're yeah mostly it's gone. all gone.
0: Yeah, and there's only like five places on the pond to begin with, and they're all just they're all just gone. Um, so yeah, that'll be fun, um, but if we don't get a chance to make one of these, we'll uh, we'll come back the week after.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll get off our asses and finally watch the
0: Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project, that'll be yeah, the next one.
1: Perhaps we'll even have time to check out the latest version of Carrie and. Uh, that we'll would be
0: that would be really cool.
1: Give some comments on that. Definitely. See how that stacks up against the classic. My. Uh, my hopes are not high,
0: but sometimes going in that way,
1: you're pleasantly surprised. I I don't know.
0: It'll be interesting to see like how much. Like part of me feels like, you know, because of just the nature of the story, like it could adapt very well to like a modern day setting. Yeah. Like there's nothing in, in the first carry that like, I mean, certain things date it. I mean the hair. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, other characters, hair.
1: And it's, it's, it's harder nowadays to believe that there's going to be this uh, high school girl who has never heard of
0: menstruation. Is it though? because of just like i mean as we speak there's in our town there's a uh protest going on outside of the planned parenthood i mean like there's there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of uh people who just want to indoctrinate their children with these those kinds of ideas i mean you know uh margaret white isn't really like that unbelievable as a character
1: That's true but i just mean like as far as I mean, most public schools there's like posters on the walls of some classrooms explaining it. That's Um, true. That
0: is true. I mean, if you're a senior, you should have taken at least one health class. Where they and they might be changing her age
1: for it. I know that it's it's weird. The the '70s Carrie we've been discussing, like the actresses tended to be in their 20s, and this one, the actress playing Carrie is, I believe,
0: 16. So she might be playing a character older than herself. But she was married at the time. Because her husband, Sissy Spacek's husband... No, no, was in, the the new, in
1: the new Carrie. Chloe, oh, in the new Carrie. Yeah, okay. Chloe Grace Moritz. I believe she's 16, maybe 17 at this point. But still, the movie was made a year ago. Right, right. Um, although I looked up the ages of some of the actors she's acting against, and her classmates all seem to be about 24, 25. <laughs> uh, maybe that will make her stick out um, yeah. but
0: who knows well we'll talk about all this and more on the next exciting episode of Talking Movies with Max and Tim I'm Max, I'm Tim see you next time